Hi, and welcome to the 1CA Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. We're joined by two gentlemen uh, you may recognize from a previous episode, Colonel Jay Liddick and Lieutenant Colonel Scott Dickerson. Colonel Jay Liddick, U.S. Army, currently serves as the Civil Affairs Commandant. He received his commission as an engineer officer from Indiana University of Pennsylvania in 1995 and holds a Master's of Strategic Studies from the U.S. Army War College and an MA degree in International Relations from Webster University. Since 2004, Colonel Liddick has served in diverse command and staff positions within CA to include Human Resources Command CA Branch Chief, Deputy Brigade Commander, and the CA Advisor Irregular Warfare Integrator at the U.S. Army Peacekeeping and Stability Operations Institute. He is deployed to the Dominican Republic, Bosnia, Iraq, Colombia, Afghanistan, and Indonesia, in addition to a one-year tour in Honduras. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Dickerson, U.S. Army, currently serves as the Chief of Concept Development at CA Proponent. He began his career as an armored crewman in 1996 and was commissioned as a Medical Service Corps officer in 2000 from Radford University. He holds an MS in Criminal Justice from Radford and an MA in Strategic Security Studies from National Defense University. Since 2008, Colonel Dickerson has served in diverse conventional and special operations command and staff positions within CA to include RCENT CMO Officer Ford, Brigade Executive Officer, and 18th Airborne Corps Deputy G9. He has deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan multiple times, also to Qatar, Yemen, and served a one-year hardship tour in Kuwait. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Colonel Jay Liddick and Lieutenant Colonel Scott Dickerson. Gentlemen, thank you. Hey, John. It's good to talk to you again. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Welcome back to 1CA. Uh, So last discussion, we talked about large-scale combat operations. And today we're going to shift focus to the role of civil affairs in multi-domain operations. Um, We'd like the audience to hear the who, what, when, where, and why of CA and, and MDO. And now the process that is connected to what we're calling the force modernization assessment. So what we'd like to lay out for the audience today is discussing what happens during the assessment, during the FMA, where the CA proponent is currently in that process, and what's next. So, gentlemen, I understand the CA proponent is undergoing the force modernization assessment with the new Army's future command. And I recall that the ARCIC, which used to be under TRADOC, is now under Futures Command. Could you paint a picture for the audience about where this, uh, who is overseeing the force modernization assessment, uh, why it's under Futures Command, and how this all got started? What's the demand signal for the FMA? Uh, John, I'll kind of talk the why and then let Scott go into, you know, the how and the who. But, uh, we're just at an inflection point. We kind of talked this in the last episode. The Army that is undergoing change in scale and pace that it probably has not done since post-Vietnam. And MDO is the direct reflection of that. And that, that's the Army taking a hard look at how does it configure itself to be effective against peer and near-peer competitors in a future operating environment. And we, the CA, have existed for a while, went through the last 15 years of, of the coin fight, but we have not had a comprehensive look at, uh, at CA as a capability, I, I, would, I would honestly argue almost ever. This was our chance in sequence of the Army to take a hard look at ourselves. What, what do we need to look like and what do we need to be able to do to help 
Army and Joint Force Commanders win in that future operating environment. And having our efforts and our capability nested with the Army's multi-domain operations. You know, that is the driver for the Army. Every branch is doing something similar, taking a hard look at themselves and, and what do you need to be able to do, what do you need to look like to be a central part of that and help commanders in the Army be successful in that environment. We were fortunate, you know, a lot of hard work went into writing a concept, our white paper, and, and getting that approved through uh, TRADOC and now AFC to give us that look. And, I mean, I said this before, but I'm, I'm, I'm truly excited about it. We have, a, we have a tremendous opportunity right now. You know, we have tremendous talent across the force doing good work every day. But what do we need to do to move ourselves forward Capabilities like a fighting position, you're constantly trying to, constantly trying to improve it. And I would say, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we like others, but we especially have had shortcomings in the past. So let's take a critical look at, at what, where we're at and where we need to be. And that's the whole point of this, so that we're poised and we're ready for Army, you know, the Army of 2028, Army 2035, and that we can capitalize on the talent we have across our force. And I'll, uh, I'll jump in on the end of that kind of do two things, add some context and then talk a little bit about the, the how and the what. Specifically, you know, it's important to remember to frame this, this, this way we approach this and look at this, that, you know, the branch is, is only a decade and change old. And so, while we have a long history of civil affairs and our current configuration, we're not that, we're not, we're not that old. We're relatively junior. Um, on top of that, the proponent, as we know it, has only been around for about five years. So that, that's also kind of an important uh, frame, for, framing position for this. Um, so the, what, what brought us here today actually started almost three years ago. You know, the first civil affairs white paper effort, 2025 and beyond, was, was begun, uh, like I said, about two and a half, two and three quarter year ago. And then, but what happened during that was nearing completion was the Army, um, started to essentially redesign how it wanted to look at how it functioned uh, from MDB to multi-domain operations. And so when 1.0 came out of the draft, we realized that there was a ton to be done to kind of uh, dovetail what the civil affairs white paper was looking to do with what the Army was looking to do. And we wanted to be in line, we wanted to be nested. And so that added to the time to actually get it out on the street and also slowed down our approval of the white paper because we wanted to make sure that it was nested. I think we did a pretty decent job of that. Um, and then we went through the CRM process and was commented on by all the centers of excellence. And we, we couldn't make outright change. We nested things and seeded things within it so that we could work towards what the Army wants from the force for multiple operations. And, and that, that was literally approved uh, on like the, I think it was the next to last day that ARCIC existed. Uh, and then, and then Army Futures Command was born. Uh, so this this is actually uh, part of that change uh, across the Army was they did away with things like the CNA, uh, the CBA term that we've used for so many years. I think is still up in the air whether it's going to continue to be used. It's going to be the term. It's going to be how we encapsulate this. So the result, uh, this effort is actually one of. It's not the first guinea pig. It's one of the first guinea pigs going through the new process to look at how we approach the problem. 
Um, and so it, it is a CBA. It has all of the elements of the CBA that everyone knows and loves. But it also is expanded, and the reason why we're calling it a forced modernization says with the approval uh, with AFC to call it that at this juncture is because it, it's, a, it's an enlarged approach uh, to what we need to do for the branch. And it, it includes things that, uh, like capacity and sustainability that weren't particularly built into as part of a traditional CBA, which primarily only looks at capability. And so that's the expansion of that. I would say that it's different from a CBA. Um, I would also point out that the how of this is that uh, it, it, it's a traditional CBA model, FAA, functional area analysis, functional needs analysis, and the FSA functional solutions analysis at the end. Um, there, it's just that in those processes themselves, we've expanded the data aperture of what we're pulling in to build our outputs off of. So our FNA report should be, if we do it correctly, we'll have significantly more detail than others have had maybe in the past. Let's look at this this way. Also understand that this is a small m uh, .mil pf look, so uh, .mil pf look. Uh, so that means that it's, we're not looking for a major material solution. It's going to be cradle to grave design for us. It's only going to be cots off the shelf stuff within the MTO inventory. Um, so that allows us to concentrate on the other aspects of .mlpfp. I'll stop there because I think I've kind of talked a lot uh, and, and let you refine anything you, you think I missed, John. Well, gentlemen, that's a good way to frame it. Um, how does this nest under the new Army Futures Command? The overarching organization of ARCIC, uh, Army Capabilities Integration Center, has now been renamed and moved under this new command, Army Futures Command, that's based in Austin, Texas. Colonel Lick, you had mentioned that you're not sure if, maybe never, right, that the Civil Affairs Regiment had such a thorough examination of itself. What is the the role of the, the center that's under the Futures Command to look at the CA branch, the CA Regiment, and every other part of the Army? Are they sort of supposed to look at, at themselves every 5, 10, 15, 20 years to say, as the Army is constantly evolving, that we need to evolve as well, and how we fit with all the other branches and the capabilities that the Army needs to win? Yes. Okay. <laughs> more than one way. 
we're both a top-down directive uh, fed TBA FMA, but a lot of the issues are coming, are matriculating from the bottom in order to get after what the solutions and fixes are. So that, I would argue that in some ways we're still a vestige or a, a holdover from the older way of doing business because that's how it originated, uh, as opposed to the new way of, of everything being kind of mandated or directed from on high in terms of paving the gaps. What are you doing to get after this gap? What is the solution for this? So we're, we are a conglomeration of both those things at this point. Uh, sir, if you have any idea. Yeah, I mean, to your question on the frequency, John, I don't, I don't think it's clear right now what the, the future excuse me, the future frequency for branches to do this will be. Uh, I will say, you know, we were positioned better than most branches because we had, you know, foresight two and a half, three years ago to start that white paper uh, concept and start looking at ourselves. We were positioned to be the first folks to go through through the process with AFC, which I think is, is a good thing. Uh, now, how, how often this is repeated going forward for each, you know, for ourselves or other branches uh, remains to be seen. And, and it's an interesting time because, frankly, the Army Speakers Command is, is standing up and sorting a lot of things out. So there's, there's a lot to be determined yet just with how they function. But uh, I, I'm, I'm pleased that we are in on the ground floor, if you, if you will, on how they're going to do business. And I think that positions us well going forward. Yeah, that's good to hear, gentlemen. Now, back in April of 2019, the Civil Affairs Association hosted the CA Roundtable, uh, one of the two annual events that, that happened. And the keynote speaker was uh, retired General Anthony Zinni. Uh, one of the quotes that the association had published was, uh, quote, if you're just adapting, you're already dead. And so I think that was connected to um, the discussion about being more anticipatory than adaptive in the approach to CA force development and keeping up with the pace of change in the strategic ecosystem. So, gentlemen, do you think that this process is more anticipatory of Army needs of the future and, and leveraging the CA capability, or is it more adaptive to what we have today? professionals need to take a hard look at and 
the status quo, what we've done in the past, whether you make the argument that it was good or not, I can assure you it is insufficient for the future. So I, I don't know if that helps answer your question. It does. So let's dig into the process. Uh, there are three phases. First, there's a functional area analysis, right? You produce a list of, of future capabilities, task condition standards. You're trying to figure out what we have today, right? And then you go to the, the needs analysis, the list of, of gaps that we need for the future. And then you have the functional solutions analysis producing potential approaches to solve or mitigate those capability gaps. Is that correct that we have three phases and I've identified those correctly? Yes, the only thing I would add is that, uh, that the, so the FS, everything's predicated on what came before it, right? So in the FNA, the, the, the change that's significant is the capacity issue. Uh, and to give, it a, to give you some framing for that, I'm still in some of the comment on Stunner, but I think it's appropriate here. And that is, is that um, it's important to understand that it's a challenge for us for, for all of the, the heads of civil affairs, whether you're the 83rd Civil Affairs Battalion, the only active component civil affairs battalion that's in the conventional army, if you're from the reserve uh, and use KFOG, uh, or if you're the 95th, this is a problem across the board, and that is that there's not proper re representation of the demand signal for those units and their capabilities. And this is, uh, at least in, in some part, uh, for use of and for the 83rd, is driven by the fact that they don't meet the threshold uh, to be tracked appropriately and used for data analysis for resourcing because of the numbers involved with those deployments. They're, they're very typically FPNs that don't meet that threshold, smaller, smaller number, they're not, they're not a company UIC, uh, and so they're not easily tracked, but, it, but it's, it's a pretty big draw especially in the case of the 83rd because the footprint's so small. But that's not, but that doesn't get good, that doesn't get good press, so to speak. They don't get good credit for that because it doesn't actually meet uh, the criteria for how we pull reports and we track participation or support for GCC missions, what have you, whatever it happens to be in terms of where that requirement came from. Um, but that goes to the overall issue with the FNA that's trying to address is that capacity issue. We pulled that data, which is about a decade's worth of data from ForceCom and from First Special Forces Command, and we're using that as baseline data to go into juxtapose and perform as a backdrop against what we posit coming out of here in terms of gas. Uh, and I think that's an interesting expansion to the FNA. Yeah, okay. Uh, Colonel Lydic, where are we right now with the whole process? And this process that Scott is walking through, 
I mean, we have representation from all the other centers of excellence in the Army as part of this. Looking at what the problem set is, looking at uh, what the Army is doing with it, and what they would contribute, and what we contribute, and how we could help the other, the other capabilities and be nested and integrated with those capabilities. So, uh, really excited for next week to kick off and continue. This is kind of phase two of, of three, if you will. And that's right here at Fort Bragg. And we have a whole bunch of folks flying in here this, this weekend after they finish Father's Day to come spend time with us. That's awesome to hear. And, uh, the only thing I would add to that, John, is that, is that um, I alluded to earlier about the about everything. Each step is predicated on the one before it. To give you some ideas, you know, I'll use the Army Utilization Task List as a, as a barometer for this. So in that task list prior to, the, to this, you had 18 tasks for civil affairs. To put that into context, that uh, by warfighting function, uh, Mission Command has, I think, 148. Uh, the overall average is, is 94 tasks. We had 18. Uh, we came out of this uh, and adjudicated it from 600 tasks to 350, and now we're at currently at 206. Now that sounds you know gargantuan, even when you look at the average of, of, of other folks tasking at 94. But what's coming out of this already is the analysis piece is, is that those tasks have been broken down into task hierarchies. So you have 50 or 60 primary tasks, and then you have a large number of enabling or supporting tasks. And to put this into perspective, why this is important as it relates to the FNA, if you have a task to conduct command post operations, well, command post operations, depending on where they're applied, you know, say in competition, not that arduous. But in conflict, that means you're going to run uh, command post operations 24 hours a day. So that, 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 that requires you to look at the man hours and the manning and structure of the organization and can it actually perform that task to standard. And every one of these tasks have tasks, conditions, and standards associated with it, which in the past was not done. It was not present. And so while uh, I would argue that you know, we probably need all the help in the world with the standards, uh, there's a starting point for every task in terms of standards that can always be improved, just like the, the Colonel said about capability piece. So that is how the FAA is feeding the FNA. The FNA, as you said, will identify the gaps associated based upon these tasks. And then those get, we, will, we will take those and come up with uh, functional solutions that we will also test and war game in the FSA. The really hard look at the, the tasks, that was hard, nug work. And we had folks here, you know, end of uh, March, beginning of April, two weeks of dedicated time all day. But it's exciting. And I will tell you that Central to a capability being able to be successful, you have to correctly identify the tasks that you will accomplish in support of the Army. And I say that because everything stems from your, your task list. If, if your tasks that you have as a capability are not correct or not, they don't capture the things that you need to, to be able to do with the right conditions and standards, you will never develop the training required to be successful consistently. So I think the work we've done, and, and uh, you know, I'm excited about it. I keep saying excited, but I this is good stuff. The work we've done adds granularity and nuance to what civil affairs does, so that you can. Try
train people to the level they need to be trained at to deliver a capability that helps commanders win. Does that make sense, John? It does, sir. And, you know, and, and let me geek out just for a second, you know, because the, the commandant got me all excited myself about about how we talk about you know, tasks and why it's important. You know, coming out of the FNA, how, you, how do you weaponize that data? Is going out into the FSA and coming out of the FSA is when you look at like any FTU changes you make. And even if, if all you do is if people think, oh, FTU, force design update, oh, you're, it costs money, you're going, you want to grow. Even if all the change is, is that you want to change the tow narrative for the unit, right? Well, the tow narrative affects that MTOW, and it also then affects how you derive the metal for said unit. And so, you know, people don't realize this, but the 95th has been operating with a draft metal for years. It's never been properly done and adjudicated. And so, it, and I would argue that, based on my reading of them, of course, this is, you know, just Scott's opinion, uh, that the metals for a lot of the, our units are, de are deficient, or not deficient, they're insufficient. That's the word I want to use. They're insufficient. It's not that they're bad, it's just that there's not enough there based on the new world we expect to operate in. And going back to your anticipatory versus adaptive uh, point, I think that that is where we play a role in being anticipatory, is, is outlining how we see these units being utilized to support uh, efforts uh, on the competition you know, continuum appropriately. Right. Yeah, and, and John, I'll just jump in that, you know, Scott and I are, are both kind of geeking out on this, right? Uh, <laughs> but I think it's important, especially to, you know, the, the younger soldiers, CA professionals that are listening to this, that, you know, this seems sexy to us and exciting and it may seem really boring and unattractive to, to younger folks, but understanding the Army and, and how the Army functions, what we're doing is how you get lasting, effective change. And there's really no, there's no way around that, right? And that's why this is, you know, this is a, a tough, time-intensive, and costly uh, effort, but it's absolutely essential for us to, to take things to where where we need to be as a capability and to be where I know those high-speed, talented junior folks we have out there want us to be. Yeah. So, I mean, in my mind, gentlemen, I, the equivalent of this uh, is, or I'd say an analogy would be, uh, you're like the owners or maybe the general manager of a football or basketball team trying to figure out, you see the evolution of different teams in the league and you need to figure out, well, boy, do we have to change the way that we're playing on the field to win more games? And then based on that, what are, what are the other teams doing? What are the personnel that we need to bring in, the contracts we need to change? How do we need to train on a daily basis and shift our mindset to win more games and get that championship. That's a great analogy. Got to learn to play money ball. Yeah. Right. Yep. Well, folks, you've yep. been listening to a great interview with Colonel Jay Glittick and Lieutenant Colonel Scott Dickerson. When we come back from the break, we're going to dive a little more deeply into uh, where we are with the the current assessment, uh, what was identified in Phase One, uh, what happens in Phase Two, uh, what these gentlemen may need from those currently serving and stakeholders how they're going to be in sync with the force modernization assessment of army civil affairs we'll be right back do you want to make some money 
Do you have an idea about how to better integrate civil affairs? If you do, then check out the Civil Affairs Association Call for Papers. Civil affairs integration surfaced as the forefront issue for the future development of the regiment at the conclusion of last year's discussion at the Washington, D.C. Roundtable. However, in order for civil affairs to become a better joint force for integration across multiple domains in human geography, the regiment must first better integrate itself, then with those it works for, by, with, and through. The Civil Affairs Association and its partners invite civil military professionals to send an originally written issue paper by no later than the close of business Friday 30 August. To better assist authors, you can find recent papers, reports, and articles, as well as an array of cited references and historical documents, and the new online research library under the association website page, Resources. You can also call upon the new Publications Advisory Board for assistance. They'll help you in crafting the argument for your paper. The top five papers will appear in the 2019-20 Civil Affairs Issue Papers, and authors will present them at the CA Symposium in Tampa, Florida in October. First prize is $1,000, second prize $500, and third prize $250. Good luck to all the authors. Welcome back to the 1CA Podcast, our interview today with Colonel Jay Glittick and Lieutenant Colonel Scott Dickerson. Gentlemen, let me ask you, what have you found so far uh, while conducting this CBA? Well, I mean, I think what, you know, what was exciting just off the bat from the first go-round was, uh, and I'll, I'll, Scott will jump into this with, with a lot of, of detail, but just, you know, just going back to the, the last few things we spoke about was just how insufficient our capture of tasks were for civil affairs. And I would argue even for current day, let alone the future operating environment. The things that we need to be able to do as a capability is much more detailed and complex than what you would glean from civil affairs if you pulled out the current Army Universal Task List. Yeah. So. That was a, a really big finding, and Scott, you know, put it in context with numbers. But you know, we we currently, as we said, had 18 tasks, when the average for other capabilities was 94. That's a lot. And, and do those tasks? Does that input come from updated documents, like, for example, the uh, uh, the SAR document that was drafted with State Department and USAID? Does that come from? anecdotes from the last 15, 16 years of, of fighting overseas, um, you know, people's experience on the ground, or are you, are you hearing from outside the Civil Affairs Regiment? Man, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, so, so all of the above to a degree. So I, I, this, it, it's so gargantuan. I don't, I don't know of any other branch that deals with it, what I'm getting ready to say, but maybe they do, and I'm just ignorant of it. You know, you're always hostage your own experience, right? I don't know of any other branch that gets DOD directives to do certain things um, and yet has never done a formalized process to take those directives and then translate that into the tasks that have to be done to accomplish the overarching uh, uh, efforts that those directives entail. So what's an example of that? Should be able to do. And I'd have to go get it 
there's like, cause I would, I'd be afraid to quote it to you off memory because then I would screw something up and someone would come and want to crucify me. But, uh, but you can look it up for yourself and you can see what I'm talking about. Cause it's, it's, the scope of that directive is daunting. I used it in my brief to the Civil Affairs Association last year, actually, to, to show the scope of, of how much responsibility we're given, but yet we never do the job that we're required to do to, to apply specificity to that. So we can go back to the boss and say, boss, you can't be responsible for this, maybe responsible for this, but I need the authority to do X. I need resource to do Y. And, and, and here is the rationale with numbers that are easily quantifiable or qualitative in nature that you can use to justify, say, going to Congress and asking for it. Some of them are policy issues that we, we've identified as well. Not, I mean, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't, that's not an out for us, that's not a cop out, because we can still do a lot of sub-policy level work and get things done. But sometimes we should tell, be able to tell the boss and give them numbers that they, when, they, when they walk into the, into the hall of the power, that they're, they're, they're forearmed or forewarmed about what the issue is. But we're not there yet, unfortunately. Um, and that's what I was going to say to you. I just had to use an analogy. I said the company with two NCOs yesterday came here, and they were looking for me. I don't. I was. A, I was a POC on some document somewhere that they read. Some memo, maybe in the white paper, and they wanted to find me, and they wanted to ask me what I was doing about uh, ASIs for NCOs. And so I did not blow them off, and I didn't send them back. And I, we had a we had a, a, probably a thirty minute discussion, and I didn't have time for that, but I did have time for it because it's important. So they're going to go back to the force. They're going to talk about this. And what I explained to them, the same thing I would say to you, is that ASIs are a potential solution. But and, and it may be the right solution. Maybe it's so common sense and obvious that you know it doesn't even need a lot of thought. But that solution is still going to require resources. And what we have to do is go back and look at a lot of more basic things, you know, team composition, team tasks, team responsibility, and, and, and then how do we divide those tasks and the accomplishment thereof and what specialties or education might be needed to be changed in the training pipeline to support that or continue education for requirements. You know, all of those things have to be taken into account so that when we say ASI is the solution, well, we know it's the solution. We can convincingly argue for that solution. We have conviction about that solution. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what's been missing. No, that's great. Gentlemen, what comes out at, at the end of this whole process, at the end of phase three, when, when the report is submitted, I guess that goes back to uh, the other centers of excellence, maybe, or the Army Futures Command, but what what is the result of it that's going to shape civil affairs for the next, do you think, 20, 30 years? Whoever you are, you can articulate them 
you can understand them and defend them. And I think that's a really big, important piece to give to everybody at the end of this. And that doesn't require, you know, uh, some person on high uh, out, of, out of the realm of possible to, uh, to, to implement. And that, a lot of that is right here in the Commandant's office or the CG, uh, uh, Special Workers Center of School, uh, to get those things gone after. Now, to resource maybe some of that appropriately, that, that would be a different fight. But to have the standards, to have the standards for everybody to understand and know, that's something that we can we can give. And it's, I think it is a tangible that can come out of this for every single person in civil affairs. Right. I, I sincerely hope that's what it does. I also hope that we... We make whatever uh, solution recommendation we make that require resourcing. I hope that the Army, you know, resources them. I, I, but that's not, now, that is something that's outside of the control and, and is governed by circumstance. But it's our job to tell the Army what we think they need. And it's the Army's job to weigh that priority and, and resource accordingly. Uh, but we've got to do our part and, and tell them in a way that's convincing uh, and is true. Because uh, we're here to meet the Army's mission, which is, you know, as part of the DOD is to fight and win the nation's wars. If we're not vested in that in every step of the way, then we're not we're not relevant regardless of what we say or do. Yeah. So your desired end state is to deliver a, a consistent product of, of qualified civil affairs officers and NCOs, a force that can consistently support commanders in reaching their desired end state. Absolutely. That was better said than me, John. Thank you. Yeah, that was perfectly put, John. Perfectly put. Um, I agree with everything that Scott said, and I mean, the, the other piece of it is, and I go back to something I said earlier, why the, the process itself and the way, the way we're going about it is important. That with this being in collaboration with, with uh, Track Leavenworth, approved by former ARCHID, now you know, AFC, the findings will be Army findings. This isn't just CA folks saying, I, I think X or I need X. It has Army backing. And it's been a deliberate process where it's there is rigor behind those findings that can stand up to scrutiny. And that's where you have power when you go forward to try to make the resource play. There's a real methodology, John, to what we're doing. I mean, that, that, I, would, that I would argue to any type of peer review process that, that wanted to, to have the argument uh, to talk it through. Uh, everything we do is defensible. That's not to say that there's not holes, because there are. But we address the holes. We say why they're there, what we've done to mitigate that, and uh, and how we want to go forward with it. So, I mean, it, it, is, it is defensible. Yeah. Now, gentlemen, as you progress, uh, what do you need from those currently serving at the tactical or operational levels? How can they provide input? I, I will tell you, you know, and that's where I appreciate this opportunity with the podcast and, and other venues that we have to get the message out. As we go through this specific process, you know, we, we worked through headquarters for them to provide us the personnel we needed. What I would say from, you know, Commandant's perspective to folks at the tactical and operational level, we're out there where the rubber meets the road and are, are you know, hitting home runs every day, but fighting uphill battles in a lot of ways. To know about what we're doing, try to keep yourself informed and be motivated in the fact that we are working to move things forward. So your, your frustrations and the challenges you've had uh, as an individual have not fallen on deaf ears. And this is our effort to, uh, to move things forward. And we need folks out there across the, across the force 
hard looks so we're going to be 10 times better going forward yeah and, and then helping communicate that message is important to think of civil affairs as an enterprise and 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 to minimize the divisions and ignorance about the, the the intricacies at every level based upon wherever you are in your foxhole and to really just seek unity around this change and the the point that i would make about this is that this is going to be real change if the mildest version of the task that we have devised are implemented and they, they affect doctrine training in the most minimal way, it will still have significant impact on the civil affairs soldier, NCO, and officer. And that is not comfortable for people. We are challenging preconceptions. I told my team at the beginning, there is no sacred cow that I will not gut. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It doesn't matter whose sacred cow it is. Because at the end of the day, from my perspective, and having, you know, I know there's many out there like me that have uh, having lost civil affairs on my command, is that there is nothing that we should do that stands in the way of winning for this nation. I, I don't, I care very little about being right. I want to win. And other people can be right as long as they let us win. That's what I care about. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously, you know, we're, we're passionate about this. And uh, to Scott's piece, he, he nailed it. Need, need the folks across the force at the tactical and operational level to be to be ready for change and be ready to embrace it. Right? We should all want to change. Constantly want to change and improve. And uh, and, it, and that that opportunity is coming. And we can't then be our own worst enemy and uh, slowing it or resisting the change that's needed for us to to provide the nation what it needs and for us to be at the level we need as professionals. So. Yeah. Gentlemen, I want to ask you about the timeline and then get to a final question. Um, when should the force expect to see some kind of report that's made public? Um, okay, so the FAA report is in final education. As a matter of fact, the last day for comments is tomorrow from the CS Centers of Excellence, since we're required to allow them what is developed, required to allow them to have the input in the final product because they were, they were represented here. We're making sure we don't misrepresent, misrepresent what they told us. So far, we've either uh, received uh, no reply, which is, you know, silence is consent in, in, in this world, uh, and the two replies we've already received to date literally changed nothing and said we agree with everything in this in this report. We'll probably get some Johnny come lately's uh, next week. That always happens too. We, we recognize that, and we'll incorporate those. Uh, and then once we are done with the event. Um, we will then package everything that has come out of the, the, the adjudication for these comments. Uh, the commandant will sign off on it, and then it will go to the CG for signature. Uh, once the CG signs off on the FA report, it will, release, it will be released as, as that report to the general public. Anybody can look at it. It's fine. Uh, the FNA will have a similar process, and as, as will the FSA. And then next year, April Fool's Day, or thereabouts, <laughs> the, the FMA report, which will be the composite of all three with overall uh, findings and recommendations, will be published as well. Okay, so the April Fool's version is going to be no change at all, and then the real version is going to be all the, the massive changes that are really coming. <laughs> exactly. And that, uh, that, uh, that, that would be my desire as opposed to the other way around, right? Right. Uh, 
finite outcomes from this, you know, it'll, it'll probably drive a revision of 357, and it, it'll probably drive, uh, will drive a pretty massive update to the AUDL, uh, and then what we hope, but that will then drive an update to the UGIDL as well. And Roger. That, that would all be within the next year and a half. Roger. Gentlemen, my last question for you during today's discussion is uh, about the stakeholders and, and which ones need to be in sync for the FMA so that civil affairs can succeed in the future. Enterprise, and we've seen 11 of the entire CA enterprise, conventional hands-off. 
Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, change is difficult for many people, but I think you have a force in civil affairs that is ready for that challenge. A lot of really smart, motivated people. And we look forward to seeing uh, what comes out of each of these phases and what's the result of it all. And as we talked about earlier in this discussion, this process certainly will shape civil affairs for the next several decades to come. Uh, so something that uh, is overdue. Uh, we're glad that you're going through it. We're glad that we have uh, Colonel Jay Liddick and Lieutenant Colonel Scott Dickerson helping to lead this process. And we thank you very much for being on the 1CA podcast to share what's going on. For spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.